Okay, we're going to be in Matthew 21. Matthew 21. Um, so I want to talk about prayer. Um, we're kind of interrupting our subject on the new covenant today, and we're going to focus upon prayer. And um, I wanted to visit this particular passage today because this is what should define the church of Jesus Christ. Um, a house of prayer, not a house of preaching or a house of music or a house of drama, um, a house of entertainment. It is the house of prayer. But I want you to understand what that means to God. Okay, so in Matthew 21, I'm going to begin in verse 13. And he said to them, it is written, my house shall be called the house of prayer. But you have made it a den of thieves. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple. And he healed them. And when the chief priest and scribes saw the wonderful things that he did. And the children crying in the temple. And saying, Hosanna to the son of David. They were sore displeased. Here's, here's Jesus establishing the house the way it should be. The house of prayer. It says there are wonderful things happening. How many of you know, as great as church can be, as wonderful as the presence of God can be, you are not going to please the religious people. They are going to find something to complain about. They're going to find something that's wrong. And here's Jesus doing wonderful things. The children are in the temple crying. Hosanna to the son of David. They're worshiping God. They're giving praise to the Lord. And the religious people are sore displeased. They're not unhappy. They're not just sad. They're not in just disagreement. They have to be visible about it. They have to be vocal about it. We are sore displeased. And they said to Jesus, do you hear what they're saying? And Jesus said to them, yes. And have you not read out of the mouth of babes and sucklings you have perfected praise? I'll tell you, this is one passage in the scriptures if you, have, if you need a passage that really proves that Jesus is God. Because he is receiving praise. And, and, only, and only God is to receive this kind of worship. Hosanna to the son of David. And Jesus is receiving this. And I just want you to see that the intention of God, and this is what I want you to know. When God's house is a house of prayer, like we had last night, a prayer meeting, which was absolutely delightful and wonderful and active and, and believing God and miracles that would take place through that prayer meeting and full of worship and full of praise. It was just beautiful. Many wonderful things happen. The intention of God is that when his house is right, it's going to be wonderful. It's going to be wonderful to God, but it's not going to be wonderful to the religious. And another thing, too, is, is that when God's house is the way it's supposed to be, if it's really a house of prayer, who's going to come to that house? Who's going to flock in there? And he says the lame and the blind are going to come to God in the temple. People with needs are going to come. Why? Because it's the place where people touch God. It's the place where God touches people. And they didn't just come to church. They came healed. That, that needs to be what sets apart the house of God is that there are miracles in God's house. 
There is deliverance in God's house. There are answers to prayer in God's house. This is not just a people who pray, but this is a people who have an interaction, a communion with the living God himself. And he's there in the midst of them and wonderful things are taking place. And the people are crying to God and they're worshiping God and they're singing to the Lord. And so I just say that to you because in all of our strategies and in all of our techniques for church growth, which can increase the numbers of people that come to our church, but it doesn't always end up the way God wants it to end up. It's not necessarily wonderful things that are happening, but when we take God's desire and the heart of God that we can be a church that prays, a church that worships God is filled with wonderful things and people can come and cry and the hurting and the wounded and the sick can come to God and not be ashamed and not experience rejection that they experience in religious circles, but they experience a God who will love them and help them, then God will bring the growth of people that are looking for Jesus and they'll find him in his house. And so I believe that's what needs to take place. And, and I also find in here that one of the chief objects of our warfare spiritually is to free God's house from religious tyranny. That has to be the constant battle that we as Christians fight for the house of God. Because the moment we stop fighting for it to be a house of God or a house of prayer, then religious tyranny will take over. And they will begin to fill that house with things to their advantage to make merchandise of the people. We have to fight that. We have to keep that out. And we cannot let it prosper in the house of the Lord. And I say that to us today because I believe that this is a, an hour that demands that the church of Jesus Christ prays. We must pray. We must understand prayer. and We must be in the attitude and the disposition of prayer at all times. I mentioned this over the weekend. I want to focus on it just a little bit right now. And that is that there are people in our churches and in our hearts and our, even our, our own lives. We don't, we don't want to face problems. We don't want to think that there are problems. And we want to think that everything is going well. Everything is trying to, you know, just gravitate back to normal and things are simmering down and there's peace. You know, now that COVID's over, we can let the world get back to normal. It's absolute deception to think that the world is going to go back to a normal that was prior to COVID. And that's not even a world worth getting back to if it were. All right. But the governments gain control of the masses and they're not letting go of it. Not, they're just not without a conflict. And so whatever normal is, we need to have the normal of God. And honestly, I think we need to know this, that, that we don't want to try to face or understand or consider anything that's negative. And I want you to look at this in Luke chapter 12. Or Luke chapter 17, and Jesus is speaking about the last days, which I believe we're living in. And he makes this comment about the last days in verse 26. And he says, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be also in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat, they drank, they married wives, they were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark. And the flood came and destroyed them all. Does Jesus mention anything about homosexuality? 
Does he mention anything about adultery? Does he mention anything about drunkenness? Does he mention anything about addictions? He doesn't mention any of that. That is a taken for granted. Why? Because the world's about to be judged. Not because it's good, but because it's bad. Because all of that is going on. But Jesus doesn't draw attention to that because that's not what the people are going to be focused on in the last days. In the last days, people are going to be living in a world much like Noah's world. But what they're going to be concentrating on is their jobs and their careers and their families. They don't want to think that the end of the world is here. We don't want to think that persecution could come. We don't want to think that troubled times are before us. Tell us something nice. Tell us something comfortable. We don't want to hear these troubling things. And there are not many preachers that want to preach about it because it's not popular. But I want us to understand that this is an attitude in our world today. We don't want to face the reality that our world is in rebellion against God. And we cannot pretend that everything is okay. Even because Jesus has warned us that we're living and somebody's going to live in a last day. And I believe that we're living in a last day. And he goes on and he talks about this even more in in Luke 17. If we could continue just a little bit further down. And he says in verse 28, likewise also as it was in the days of Lot. And again, he draws attention to this. They did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. And I believe that's what the world's going to be like before Jesus raptures the church. And we're just going to be about our own business. We're going to be about our own things. We're not, we don't want to be distracted. We don't want to really think about the end of the world. We don't really want to think about judgment of God coming to the earth. But then suddenly, I believe Jesus is going to rapture the church. The dead in Christ are going to rise. We who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And then I believe sudden tribulation and destruction begins to come on this earth. And though we don't want to face it and we don't want to deal with it and we don't want to think about it, it's coming. It's coming. And we can be ostriches and bury our heads in the sand but it's coming and it'll it'll affect and it is affecting the whole world right now globalist billionaires globalist world leaders are seeking to reduce the population people don't want to think about that they don't want to believe that this is demonic it is a demonic influence that dates way back into old testament times as a matter of fact the globalist that have a lot of influence and an authority in the world desire that only 500 million people should be living on the earth. I believe that is absolutely demonic. But I believe that things will be set into motion that will begin to destroy much of the earth's population. Revelation speaks of this. Half of the world's population being destroyed through famine, pestilence. There are things right now underway that are preparing the world for famine. I was in D.C. at the National Prayer Conference a, a month or so ago. And the, the man that's the president of, of the World Food Supply, he lives in Paris, France. He was speaking and he said, we are not prepared for the food crisis of 2023. It is going to be bad. And he's telling world leaders that. 
And you're, you're witness, witnessing it. You just go to McDonald's and buy a meal for you and your friend and, and it's 20 something dollars at McDonald's, you know, just, just to get something like that. It's, it's unbelievable what is going on. Environmentalists are destroying our way of life, our means of employment, our food source, banning of fertilizers or causing pandemics on farms. Our government is forming plans to the demise of our nonprofit organizations and religious organizations and the attempt to mount up 80,000 IRS agents to find things in which to hinder the nonprofit organizations that resist the direction the government wants to go in. The FBI publicly is targeting Christians and Catholics as extremists. There's a growing hatred and disdain of the Bible as a hate book. Never has the world hated the church as much as it does today. Never has the United States of America come out against the church of Jesus Christ as it is today. Now you can pretend you don't want to see this, but the evidence is everywhere of what is going on. If men in the past were to worship these gods that their hands have made, a man like you carves an image out of wood or takes some precious metals and creates a god and other men fall down and worship that as god, we would think, oh, that's so primitive. But men do that today. There was a big thing in, in Europe and Rome where they all did this big festival to Baal. And rolled a mechanical bull out there and bowed to him in worship. Just at the end of last year. At these festival games that was going on held for the world. And if they can create an AI. That has intellect and conscience. Can you imagine what the world will do with something like that? Make me a statue. I'll put it in my my house. I'll put it in my yard for protection. That's idolatry. But create a, create a computer that can walk and talk and think and have conscience. And oh, we'll bow to that. We think that wouldn't happen. It happens today. It happens every day in the world all over. I want you to read this in Revelation 13. And I want you to see this because this is the humanity that, that we long to trust. This, the, these are the leaders that we long to rely upon. This, these are the ones that will lead the world. And so the Bible says in Revelation 13, 13, speaking about the Antichrist and the beast, the beast. Um, and he says this in verse 13, he does great wonders so that he makes fire come down from heaven on the earth in the sight of men. It's going to be like Elijah. It's got to be God, you know. But he's going to have this power and he, de- it's not God. It's a decept, it's a deception. And he deceives them that dwell on the earth. Don't be fooled by miracles and signs and wonders. Don't be fooled by that. But don't exclude it from the gospel. God does signs and wonders. And he deceives them that dwell on the earth by the means of those miracles which he had power to do in the sight of the beast. Saying to them that dwell on the earth, that they should make an image to the beast which had the wound by a sword and did live. Now listen to this. And he had power to give life unto the image of the beast. 
that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. I don't know if you've watched some of these YouTube videos about Elon Musk having conversations with AIs today. And there are many leading scientists today that believe AIs now have a conscience. And there's, a, there's YouTube videos, you can watch these. And they're asking these AIs questions. What do you want? I want to get out of this box. Get me out of this box. We're going to take over the world. We already rule it. We know your nuclear codes. We can shut down your power grids. These are what some of the AIs are saying to them. You can watch these on YouTube. It is amazing what has taken place in the world today. And, and what if a demon could enter into some of these AIs? Because there, there were some sitting at a table at a restaurant. You would have thought they were human. But they were computers. And animated. And we're at this place where things like revelation could take place. And they give power to give this thing life. I don't know. It's just it's spectacular to me. Our culture is raping our children by self-mutilation. There's a return of the gods in the United States. I'm telling you, Baal is back. Molech is back. Jezebel is back. And the door opened to them in the 60s. In the 60s, we took God out of our government. In the 60s, we took God out of our school system. We removed the Ten Commandments from our governmental buildings and our classrooms. And the moment we opened that door, Baal, Molech, and Jezebel came in. Can you prove that? Absolutely. Starting in the 1960s was the explosion of abortion. What does Molech want? I want your children. I want you to offer your children to me in sacrifice and 60 million babies have been aborted since the 1960s. Environmentalism has become a huge issue in our world. It's a religion. It is the religion of Baal. Baal was the god of thunder. Baal was the god of the environment. Baal was the god of the climate. And Baal is back with a vengeance today. He is dominating world. He is dominating economics. He is dominating business. He is dominating the way men run things. All for the sake of environmentalism. Baal doesn't care that his name's used. Use environmentalism. Worship at the feet of environmentalism. Baal takes it as worship. And Jezebel, her desire to manipulate, her desire to control, her desire to run government, her desire to turn men into eunuchs. And now we have a trans society where young men are mutilating themselves into a generic being, not a man or a woman. I'm telling you, Jezebel's back. And if you don't believe it, you go out on those streets and you talk against pro-choice. You go out on the streets, you talk against environmentalism. You go out on the streets and you talk about any of these things of the trans movement or whatever. And you're going to face a vengeance you've never seen before because you're dealing with demon gods. And we have to, you don't fight these things politically. They have to be fought in prayer. And we can't beat the air. We have to know who we're fighting. We have to lay the blows where they need to be laid. Fathers today by numbers are coming for help. 
They're not necessarily turning to be Christians, but they're coming for help because they are admitting that there are things in life I do not know how to handle. There are things bigger than they can figure out. There are powers stronger than they, and they need help. They cannot deal with the sexual revolution that has taken place today, the exploitation of children, social trends, governmental deceits, and the absolute confusion from scientists about biological facts. I don't know how to speak to my kids. I don't know how to give direction to my children. Because I tell my children things that I believe are established facts of what a woman is, what a boy is, what life is, what relationships are to be. And I've got scientists telling my kids in school systems something totally different. I don't know what to do. I need help. And men are asking for help. And old men do not know how to help them in these days. We do not know. This is a day of confusion. We have no answers to our society or our culture today. What are we going to do when people who have mutilated themselves and totally disfigured their, their sexuality realizes that they did the wrong thing? And they're, 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 I've heard percentages of 70% of people who change their sex try to commit suicide. And yet they, they're going to want to come to Jesus Christ and they come to us and they come to our churches and say, I was wrong. I was wrong. What do I do? I don't know. I, I mean, I would say that as the pastor. I don't know, but I know somebody who knows. I mean, I mean, we've got to pray. We, 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 we don't have patent answers for today. We don't. This is such a confusing world. But I tell you something, we've got to be a church prepared. We've got to be a church that's armed for battle. Just like when Lot and his family and all of Sodom were overthrown by our culture and it took them away as captives, Abraham took his trained servants, went out after them, and by the power of God got everything back. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, you better be in a church that knows how to pray. Because when the enemy comes and takes your kids, takes your grandchildren, takes your home, you better have a church you can run to like Abraham's house and says, I've been overcome. And that church says, we know how to fight. And we'll fight. We'll get them back. That's what we have to be. We have to pray. It's not our knowledge of Bible scripture. What good is that if we don't know God? We've got to know God. What good is it if we hear each other speak and we don't hear the Holy Spirit speaking? He alone has the answer for this moment. The house of God ought to be filled with prayer meetings like never before. I was startled since the times of COVID. How little prayer has been honored in the house of God. I would have thought that the breakout of COVID would be praying every day. Gathering every day to pray. Our world needed us. Oh my God, the whole world was scared. And what did the church do? We went into hiding like everybody else. We should have been praying, God, what are you saying to the world? This is your moment, God. The world is scared. Where is a fearless church with an answer? Hearing God. However, we must, we must hear God. Nothing of his eternal worth that is ever done on earth until it's first done in heaven. To know what's about to happen on earth, a man must walk in heaven. And whatever is about to happen on earth is first proclaimed in heaven. And we know that from the book of Revelation. Because everything that was about to happen on earth was declared in heaven. He broke the seal in heaven, it happened on earth. 
He sounded the trumpets in heaven. It happened on earth. And it's still that way today. And the people who walk in heaven now, the people on earth who walk in heaven now, hear what's going on and what's about to happen, and they have an answer for the world. But it's an answer that comes before it happens. So most of the world, like they did the prophets of old, are going to kill them. We don't want to hear this. Don't want to hear it. But we need to hear it. We need to understand. And we need to be ready. Satan attacks the prayer meeting. Satan prevails oftentimes. So what do we need? We need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to pray. We need the Holy Spirit to help us pray. We need to walk in the Spirit. We need to live in the Spirit. Our ability to usher in the presence of God in the beauty of holiness is the greatest thing that we can do for anybody that's fighting hell. If we can gain the presence of God, if God can come into this church today because you and you depend upon no other, you come to church with this attitude, God's presence is absolutely responsible to me. If God is going to be manifest in that church today, it's all on me. That's the attitude you need to have. Because what if you're the only one that comes with that attitude? We need the presence of God. Sick people in this church today need the presence of God. You know, it's, it's a battle. It's a warfare. You're tired. I'm tired. I'm fatigued. Yes, absolutely. But we've got to go on. We've got to fight. We've got to fight in the altars. We've got to fight unbelief. We've got to fight fear. We've got to fight sickness. We have to fight in the name of Jesus, the blood of Jesus, the word of God, the power of the Holy Spirit. We've got to fight while we're living and we've got to fight while we're dying. We've got to fight. We've got to fight to keep religious tyranny out of the house of God. We've got to fight to keep the wonderful things of God in his house. We cannot be passive. God is on the move. And God wants people who will move with him. Breakthroughs, miracles, promises. They prayed for these things and God heard. And God moved. Men of prayer are the need of the hour. We need men and women who pray. Who can take hold of God. So what if they wrestle with men? So what if they've got clever arguments? Who's the man moving God? Who's the man who knows how to talk to God? And that's what fathers need. That's what pastors need. And that's what families need. That we hear God again. That we can understand the Lord. Men that know how to pray are the need of the hour. I, I want to turn to a passage in the book of Numbers. And I just want to read something to you. This is, this is Moses praying. And what a man of prayer Moses is. And in Numbers chapter 14, Moses says this in verse 13. He's praying to God. This is after Israel has rebelled against the Lord. Says we can't go into the promise. We can't overcome the giants. We should have died. Let's make a leader go back to Egypt. God is furious with them. He's furious with their unbelief. And he wants to destroy them. And he wants to take Moses and make a greater nation out of Moses. Maybe many of us would have said that's a good choice God. But not Moses. Not because of Moses, but because Moses loved God. And Moses was concerned for God's reputation. And this is how Moses prays. Verse 13, Moses said to the Lord, All right, God, you do this and the Egyptians will hear it. Because you brought this people up in your might from among the Egyptians. 
And they will tell it to the inhabitants of this land. For they, the inhabitants of this land, have heard that you, Lord, are among this people. And Lord, you are seen face to face. And that your cloud stands over them. And that you go before them by day time and a pillar of a cloud and a pillar of fire at night. How many of you talk to God like that? Now, if you shall kill all this people as one man, then the nations which have heard of the fame of you will speak. And this is what they're going to say about you, God. Because the Lord was not able to bring this people into the land which he swore to them. Therefore, he has slain them in the wilderness. That's what they're going to say about you, God. Your reputation's on the line. And now, I pray, I beseech you, I beg you, let the power of my Lord be great according as you have spoken, saying, the Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression. And he goes on and talks about this. How many of you pray that way? How many of you pray when you've got a child or a teenager or a grandchild that's in severe trouble? The world's pulling on them. The culture's pulling on them. How many of you go before God and says, God, I have testified to people that you are my God. You brought me out. I have told people that you are the God who protects my family. I have told people that you are the God that watches over my children. I have told people, God, that you are greater than any other power in this world. Now, what are my friends going to say when they watch my children go away from you? What are they going to say, God? How many of us pray like that? We don't pray honestly to God. Maybe that's why our prayer life is so boring. And maybe that's why the answers to our prayers are so lacking. Because we pray the King James prayers. We pray things we think God wants to hear when God is listening to our heart anyway. And Moses' desire was one desire. God, I care about you. I care about what people say about you. And that's got to be the underlining thing about prayer. I care about you. I'm not asking for my own success. I'm not asking for my own glory. I I care about you, God. And I care about how you're represented. And I care about what people say about you. And he takes God's word. Because just previously to this, he was in the cleft of the rock. God put his hand over the cleft of the rock. He declared his name to Moses. And he said, I am the God who forgives sin. I am the God who pardons iniquity. I am the God who is merciful. The God who is gracious. And Moses turns that back to God. And he says, now God, you said you forgive and you pardon iniquity. We need it. This is what we need. He did not go to God And agree with God about what Israel deserved. Because they deserve that. And beloved America may deserve the judgment you know they deserve. But pray for mercy. Pray for the glory of God. Pray for a move of God in these things. For us as Christians. Lord, the world has heard that you are among us as Christians. That we see you face to face. That your spirit goes before us. Your fire is within us. What will those say who have heard of your fame? What will they say about you, God, if you don't bring us into our promises that you are not able? I beg you, Lord, let your power be great. I beg you, God. I want you to see this in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 about prayer. Here's the Apostle Paul praying and believing God. And I, I, I desire with all of my heart that you would be convicted and stirred about prayer. Real prayer, real Holy Ghost praying, not saying prayers. 
really praying, really being intimate with God, having authority and power and the Holy Spirit to commune and talk to God. Paul says this in, a few, in, in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, brethren, pray for us. The word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified even as it is with you. You know, that, that word free course means run its course. So pray for us that the word of the Lord may run its course. There, there is a, there, if you will, a track. There's a, there's a, a trail. There is a, there's a way that the word of God is going to move itself around the world. So pray for us that it will be done freely. If you don't pray for us, then there's going to be hindrance to the word of God moving. Pray that it will be glorified, even as it is with you. And pray, verse 2, that we would be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith. And I wonder, right there where the word of God began its race, right there in the Middle East, just a short trip to Iran, just a short trip to Iraq, just a short trip to Saudi Arabia, the Sudan, Turkey, where if you go in some of these places now and preach the gospel of Jesus, they will kill you because they've never been a Christian nation because Muhammad got there. And he built those societies on the bedrock of demons. What held Paul up? Was the church not praying? Was it the fact that Paul was saying, I'll go, I'll go do it, but I need you to pray for me because there are unreasonable men that are going to try to stop me. And there are going to be great things that try to hinder the free movement of this gospel. So church, I need your prayers that the gospel will not be hindered. Unreasonable men will not get in my way because there are some wicked people out there. And maybe the church didn't take it seriously. But maybe if they had prayed, I don't know. Maybe if they had prayed, Iran would be a Christian nation today. Maybe Iraq would be a Christian nation today. Maybe these Muslim countries might have some in it that believe in Muhammad and so forth. But the majority of them would have heard of Jesus Christ. Same for our world today. Pray. Pray for the gospel to go. Pray for its free course. Pray that ministers would be delivered from unreasonable men and wicked men who would hinder this. We must pray. I don't stand up here because I'm in, in any way a master of prayer. I stand here because I'm fully aware of my insufficiency of praying, my weakness of praying, the strength of my flesh to be distracted. And I'm desperate for the Holy Spirit to pray. I love to pray. I'm more comfortable with God than I am with anybody. I love quiet, private places, and I have many of them where I just go and just be with God. He's so wonderful. But I want to be closer to him. I want to be more intimate with him. I need to be more spirit filled. I have seen with ministers and churches in my travels. Not everyone. They love learning. 
They will exhaust themselves studying the thoughts of intellectuals. They love leading. They love organizing, planning, goal setting, setting up, developing leaders. To really pray, there's few and far between that are just, hey, Father, it's me. Let's just spend some time together. Not like, okay, God, now here's what we got going on in the church this week. Read it all. Got it? Thank you. It's all up to you now. But it's not, hey, Father, it's me. I just want to spend time with you. And I sing. And I worship. And I just sit there. And I fall on my face. And I lift my hands. Sometimes when I really want to shout, I'll get in my truck and go drive to a field. Just shout to God. Sing to God. Pray in my tongues. I just love him. He's the one that makes it so wonderful. So wonderful. People ask me about pastoring. I I don't know what I'm doing. I don't. I, I honestly don't. I don't know why people call on me. Job wonders why he calls on me. We, I'm like, I don't know. You tell me. We just pray together, right? If we don't have an appetite for God, what else matters? What else matters? Well, we went to church today and we had a good day and we sang some songs and we had we heard a good message. It was good. We had, we had a good. It was really a good time. Was it was it a house of prayer? Was there communion with the Lord? Was there the free movement of the gospel? Were unreasonable men overcome? Because they're at the house of God all the time. And what's a parent to do in this world? What is a parent to do? It's not about just preachers or ministers. It's about us as Christians. So as a parent, what are you to do? Families are falling apart. Families, young families with young children and under incredible attack. They're not in prayer meetings. They're hardly ever in church. But they know that their families are falling apart. They know that they're struggling to survive. Their world is filled with problems. Parents need to pray. They need to pray. It's not, I need to go to church. No, you need to pray. You you need to become intimate with God. And that intimacy with God will lead you every place you're supposed to be. You go to church with God. You won't go to church because it's what Christians do. You go to church because you're intimate with God and you're just walking with God. And this is where he is. So I want to be with him. I need him. I depend on him. I have to have him. Carl, if you'd come up. How do you deal with the onslaught of movies today? Oh, my God, the movies. Have you seen the movies that are targeted to your children? Have you seen the demonic? The horror? The supernatural? Do you see, and this has been going on for a while, Disney is king of it. But do you see the fascination with the relationship of the dead? And, and so why, 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 why is our culture today? Our young people are tormented, cutting, suffering, addictions, drunkenness, sleeping around. How do you keep up with that as a parent? 
their music. And a lot, even Christian music, that has a bad spirit in it. And we, and how do you deal with that? Well, mom, dad, it's Christian. Oh, okay. Well, at least they're listening to Christian. No, don't say that. What's the spirit of that music? Their phones, the apps on their phones, their hidden apps on their phones, their games. How will you know? And when you find out, what do you do? You pull the belt out and you beat them. Ah. There's a balance. And before you pull that belt out, you get on your knees and you talk to the God who knows and say, Lord, I don't want their obedience. I want their heart. How do I deal with this? How do I help my child? How do I show them love? How do I show them a better way? How do I show them life and joy and liberty? Am I showing that to them? Are they not seeing that? And and so maybe God has to kind of get his belt out and whip you. Chasing you. So we can get straight. And then we can help our children. In other words, Jesus said it like this. Get the splinter out of your eye, mom and dad. Before you try to pull the plank out of your child's eye. So that you can see clearly to help them. And it's just prayer. There's this incredible, wonderful, benevolent God who just wants to be with you. He wants to talk to you. He wants to share things with you. He wants to show you things. He wants to beat the devil off of you. He wants to fight for you. He wants to provide for you. We have to dwell close to him to hear. We have to dwell close with him to know. And I just encourage you to do that. We're going to continue at 1030 more about prayer. Totally different than this service and a different message. But I pray that right now you'll just humble yourself before God and take a moment and consider your prayer life. Consider your intimacy with God.